Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be going over a huge range of topics ranging from James Harden and going to strip clubs to us waving Melvin Frazier, which uh, for some of y'all, you may not even think anything of it. To me, it hurts a little bit and I'll tell you why in a little, a little later on. But anyways, first off, James Harden this whole entire saga just keeps going on and on. There has been there has been some news coming out today that makes the situation a little bit easier. But yesterday, oh my gosh, everything was just spiraling out of control for the Rockets. Now, uh, instead of going to Houston's practices this week, and I think it was yesterday or two days ago, that's when it got really bad. Instead of going to practices, he first said, I want to do a private practice, which, I mean, that's still kind of stupid because you're like part of, you're like the main piece of the NBA, uh, your NBA team. But a private practice, okay, whatever. Now, he just straight up skips out on that, and instead he hangs out with a rapper like Lil Baby or something, and then he just goes to a strip club in Las Vegas throwing dollar bills all over the place, so... James Harden is just went absolutely crazy in Las Vegas. There has been reports that these like just came out too. He finally arrived in Houston. And I think he got cleared for practicing. I don't know how though because he's like going, he's going yeah he's going absolutely insane in the strip club. He's throwing dollar bills all over the place. No masks, no nothing. I don't know how the NBA is able to clear him right as he arrives in Houston. I don't even know how they would let him on the plane because, I mean, it's about as obvious as it gets. This dude isn't distancing at all. But yeah, it's just a super bad look for Harden. It's a terrible look for the NBA. And it's just absolute pandemonium for the Houston Rockets right now. And I think the person you need to feel like, like the person who... I feel the worst for, and a lot of people have been feeling the worst for, it's Steven Silas. He gets hired to be the coach. He's been doing terrific with Dallas, being the assistant over there. He gets a major job in being the Houston Rockets coach with Westbrook and Harden. Harden's having a little temper tantrum or whatever. I don't know if you want to call it that, but Harden was not really... Too happy with Westbrook for whatever reason. So they got John Wall for him. And he still doesn't even want to show up. He wants to be at strip clubs instead. Like, what the hell? And this is the coach that Harden wanted. He, like, he vouched for the guy. Like, he said in his interviews at with the media, he said that James Harden was one of the reasons he even landed the role. And he doesn't even know what's going on. And they're not even really on speaking terms. And a lot of the team, it sounds like, Really has not been talking to him. Obviously, in the upcoming days, that conversation is going to be forced. I don't know if it's by agents, by the team, or just Adam Silver coming in because this looks really bad. They're going to be talking to each other. I don't know if they're going to resolve things or not. But one thing you can be sure about is Silas got a terrible break because he came in. The expectation was Houston was going to... I thought they were going to try to run it back. Harden, he has other plans, and now just the future makes no sense, and he's having to deal with a really huge problem right out the gate of getting hired. So it's a really sucky situation for him. Um, 
hopefully they find some resolution for it, whether it be him getting traded or they work it out. Preferably being Thunder fans, we kind of want Harden out of there. But yeah, so a lot of stuff is up in the air with them right now. And um, just something that I was looking at, if there's some there's some really like vague rules that the NBA has put into place about um, COVID nineteen and like the restrictions, the whole thing in total. It's like it's really long, but in terms of punishments, the the basic level stuff that we know right now, there might be a whole handbook explaining what result in what punishment but there's a there's a wide range of punishments you can have and this is straight out of the um nba nba rules what they have on the covid on covid 19 right now it says that they've warned the teams that protocol violations that lead to covid spreading that impact opposing teams and schedule derailments could result in fines suspensions adjustment or loss of draft choices in game forfeitures so as of now i mean harden's back with the team but let's say he goes back to his habits he's hitting up all the strip clubs he might get a couple teammates involved and hey you might have a problem with houston and with that whole team carrying around covid or whatever they may be carrying around if they're hitting up these strip clubs or whatever that might be an issue and you never know Maybe it turns into an issue where the NBA starts, I think at first, the the main problem, and I think what led to Harden coming back, other than just pressure, he might have just got a gigantic fine, because that's the most blatant, like, not following the rules possible. There's video footage of him just chilling, doing whatever, hanging out with rappers, being in the club with a lot of people. It's about as blatant as it gets, so... Him being one of the faces of the NBA, he must have got a pretty heavy fine or some sort of punishment. If not, that talk must have just swayed him over. They must have threatened him or something. So he's back over there. But just a hypothetical, I really don't think it would happen. It's more of just like a joke. But just picture a scenario like that happening midseason and just derailing a ton of games. They may just lose... It says, you know, uh, it says that they could have an adjustment of draft choices. Maybe they can't be a top four team. They can't get a one through four pick. That benefits us. Now, would I think the NBA would do that kind of crap? Because it's pretty obvious who that helps out. If they can't get a pick one through four, it just becomes ours guaranteed. And if they just blow it up and they turn into such a bad team... We may end up getting their fifth pick when their odds should have been way higher to get, you know, one through four. They could have gotten the first pick, but due to the rules, they're number five and we take it. I don't think I don't think the NBA likely would even do that. I think as it is right now, the Rockets and a lot of the players have kind of distanced themselves from the situation, which is pretty smart. I think right now Harden's doing his own thing. The Rockets are doing their their own thing so it, I don't think they get a draft punishment but if if it gets to a point where a lot of guys are just going crazy in Houston everyone's going straight rogue you never know what could happen guys maybe the NBA starts taking away their draft picks and um depending on what those punishments are 
If it has to do with their 2021 pick, which I'd assume it would be, um, it's pretty cool for us. So it's something to monitor. I highly doubt it happens. I'm pretty much just kidding around with that strip club stuff. I don't think it's going to escalate any much more than it already has. But hey, you never know. You never know. So yeah, we should just be we should just be looking into the the Rockets this season because the relations don't look good. Harden's even requested a trade to like he's expanding his list to include the 76ers now. I don't know how likely it is at this point because of Maury supposedly wanting to keep Simmons and Embiid together. It may just be a whole entire smokescreen, jack up their value and then in a week Ben Simmons is in a Rockets jersey, you know. So, I kind I kind of believe Maury. I don't think they'd want to change anything. He got away from Harden. I mean, Harden and Maury, I'd assume, are on great terms. So I don't think I I think Maury would like him. But the price to pay to get Harden back, it's really steep. And I don't know if they'd I don't know if they'd want to do that because Maury came into the position having high expectations for Simmons and Embiid. That's why he took the job. I mean, he was one of the best GMs there was, so I can imagine pretty much every team wanted him. He ended up picking the 76ers for a reason. I don't think he's going to tear down a lot of their major pieces for Harden. Never know, though. So, Harden expanded it. I believe it's just the Nets and 76ers. Could be even higher. There was a report that the Warriors were interested in Harden with the Thompson injury, which completely sucks, by the way. I don't. I think they just decided they're not gonna go after him right now. Um, but yeah, so Harden's future's up in the air. The Rockets' season is up in the air. Their future's really up in the air because we do own the right to swap their pick this season. We also own it in 2025 with the same protections we can swap, and then we just straight up own 2024 and 2026. Those still have protections on them. Um, but yeah, we owe a lot of their future, and if they are absolutely destroyed by Harden, our drafts, our draft picks are looking way, way better. But yeah, so as just all this chaos and uncertainty was rising up in Houston, it's kind of the opposite in OKC. Um, now we got some clarification. This has been in the making for like a month. It's finally official. Al Horford deal has been completed. He's heading to OKC. The full trade was we got Al Horford. We got Teo Maladon, the 34th pick. We got a 2025 um, first round pick. It's top six protected. That's actually really good. I wasn't expecting it to be that well of like a protection. So that's a good pick to have. And then we also got the rights to Vasile Micic. He's like already 26 years old. He's a point guard overseas right now. I don't think he's actually coming over. But yeah, we just got the rights to him. And then the 76ers got Danny Green, Terrence Ferguson, and one that was not expected at first. This like just came out, to my knowledge. Vincent Poirier just got thrown into the deal. And due to him getting thrown in, they created the 76ers got an 8.2 million dollar trade exception. So that's not bad at all for them. Uh and it's gr- it's great for us too. I mean, obviously creating an 8.2 million trade exception isn't awesome for them. 
I think it had to do with some like salary cap things. I think throwing Poirier in there helped match salaries and we got to keep a trade exception and they got a bigger one. Just some basic terms. I may have screwed it up somewhere along the lines, but that's just how I viewed it. Poirier didn't have a he really didn't have a chance with our team. I think maybe he could carve out minutes in the NBA and we're not expected to be great or anything, so Maybe he would have got minutes. He just doesn't fit the timeline for us. He's already 27 years old. I just don't see a place with the team there. We we just got Horford. TJ Leaf and Muscala are probably going to be swapping minutes around at center. And then we got like Moses Brown on a two-way deal. So we are a little thin at center. And he, I think he would have got minutes. It's just we don't really need him. I think we could find a replacement a little bit younger like a Moses Brown and if he plays well he can get minutes for us so yeah there's not really a loss with Poirier it's better for us it's better for him as well he's playing for an actual contender but yeah so just something funny we originally made a deal with the Celtics it was like a I think we gave them a second round pick but the it was really conditional, and we're going to get it back because it's like if it's 55 through 60, the Celtics will get our second round pick this year. That's not going to happen. So we're going to keep that. We gave up nothing to get Poirier and a million dollars, and we just got rid of Poirier. So we got a million dollars for pretty much nothing. We just helped out assist this deal, I guess. Poirier's the trade ship. We got a million dollars out of him. So. That's great work by Presti. It was so confusing. And maybe there was a chance Poirier would have played for us um, had we not gotten TJ Leaf. Because we really were thin before we gave up LeCue for Leak. Or uh, Leak. What am I saying? Leaf. Um, we were really thin there. So maybe he would have actually played. With Leaf getting signed or traded to us, it allowed Poirier to get moved. I think it's great all around. Now, just viewing the trade as a whole, I think the consensus was with Horford's contract sucking so bad, we would have needed like a young asset of some sort. I think Thibel really would have would have been untouchable. There were like blogs and just places online where it was pitching the idea of getting Horford um, and Thibel just because of how ugly the deal was. Horford's on a really bad contract. I'm not surprised they wouldn't give up Thibel. I think the 2025 first, like I said, that's great. It, it would have been so much nicer if it was unprotected. But I don't imagine this pick is going to be in that range anyways. It's just a solid first. But Teo Maladon, even though he's picked 34th, he has real first round value. Like, I did a whole, a whole podcast on him, Poku think I might have thrown in Josh Hall and Vit that we I think he's going to be stashed but I talked about all of them and I was super high on Teo like I had him on my mock draft going to Miami at 20 I think he probably is one of the top 20 guys in the class and we somehow snagged him at 34 that's just really great value he was one of the like before that pick happened I was begging for the Thunder to take him I can't remember the last time the Thunder took a guy I wanted now I'm not going to doubt Presti because he's right pretty much all the time. But yeah, just being on the same page with him, uh, the same page as him was great. So 
don't know. I I think that if it was like if we picked some random dude at 34 who just didn't make sense for us, I would be pretty upset. But since it's Teo, I really like the potential in him. I think that he is one of the best passers in the draft class. I think the only other guys in consideration are like LaMelo Ball and Killian Hayes. He's like in the top three for best passers, I think, with a Maladon. So he has a good shot. The thing with him is he's really not a great dribbler, and creating shots at times may be a little difficult. He's not stringing up like a crazy amount of dribble moves like and then doing step back threes or nothing. He really likes to play in the pick and roll, and he'll hit you with like a couple dribble moves. He gets that pick, and then he's going in. Sometimes he'll just stop and shoot it, but oftentimes he's going to go in. He's nice when it comes to floaters. He does take contact at the rim. I think he's already like six foot five or something, so he has a good frame for an NBA point guard. He'll take the hit, but I think what he he looks to pass the ball in the pick and roll way often or way more often than he just lays it up. So he always drives in there looking for a dude to pass it to. He throws some straight up lasers in the paint to like the center. If the if the center on the other team like drops down and tries to help on Maladon, he will squeeze the pass in and it's going to be a wide open layup or dunk pretty much every time. So I really like what I see in him. Uh, he has like fouling issues and I, I believe he doesn't get to the line a ton. He can work on those. I really like what we got in him. So I'm, I'm really happy with the deal, at least in terms of, yeah, I think in what we got is pretty fair take out maladon i'd be so mad but since maladon was in there i like it um i think ferguson is gonna do a lot better with philadelphia he had one good game with us and then just never was able to play well again that was like rookie year versus the lakers so i think him being on the other team is better we kind of just we threw him out there so much he didn't put up a lot of numbers like at all so we need that. We need to get move on from him. I think Ferguson might have wanted to move on from us. I don't want to speak for him, but I think Philadelphia is a way better spot for him. That's my point. And then Philadelphia got Danny Green out of it, so they got a good package. Um, they yeah, they got some actual assets for Al Horford, which was a little surprising, but we still we still got assets, and maybe just maybe Horford becomes a valuable trade piece. Chances are slim, but if we can juice up that stock and, like, the Raptors really need a center by the deadline, you never know. Presti might be able to work his magic again. So that was just one of the first confirmed things um, that we have gotten in the past couple days. The second news was the contract details of Frank Jackson. Now, I really didn't know what to expect. I thought that... um, I thought that it would just be a non-guaranteed deal due to how many players we already had on the roster. But, like, in in retrospect, Frank Jackson, for being 22, his numbers weren't absolute garbage. So, I don't know how we got the deal. But we got him on a two-year minimum contract. I got that part right. I said completely non-guaranteed. 250k of that is guaranteed. That's, like, pennies in NBA terms. So... There's not a lot guaranteed with Frank Jackson. Now, in terms of what he's going to, like, bring to the team, he's just a straight-up offensive guy. Now, 
He has a 42-inch vertical. It's not like he's flying around dunking on people or nothing, but he does get some hang time, and he's he's pretty solid at, like, reverse layups and just getting up in the air and getting shots up. So, as far as that is, I mean, he's athletic. Presti always loves to find athletic guards and shooting guards, so he fits in there. And then he's shown some ability to shoot the ball. Like, in college at Duke, he was a 40% three-point shooter. That dropped down when he entered the NBA with the Pelicans. Um, He shot 33% from three last season on 2.6 attempts. So it, it dropped down. And he actually ended up doing pretty well at the end of the season. I think his stock jumped up. And a lot of people... Um, whenever we signed him, we're like super happy about it because his last game of the season in the bubble is against the Magic. He dropped 31 points. So by that point, the Magic and the Pelicans both knew their fate. They weren't going anywhere. So it was really, the stakes weren't too high. They were just kind of throwing guys out there. And Jackson shined. So he put up 31 uh, points and seemed like a lot of people when he signed with us we're excited for him I will say prior to him entering the bubble his stats were not very good and I don't even know if he would have got a contract had it not been for the bubble because he did play a lot better in the bubble than in the regular season he was one of the most inconsistent players on offense probably ever so he had patches in the season where he was shooting above 50 percent and he would be scoring double figures for like three, four games in a row. And then there were times where he just couldn't make a shot to save his life in the season. Now, I found this looking through like ESPN, just just the box scores or whatever. He had the game pretty much of his life to that point. November 14th, 2019, playing the Clippers. Amazing game. 23 points, 9 of 14 on shooting. Um, right after that game, he just was not good. After that, for the next month, you couldn't, honestly, you wouldn't have even known if it was a YMCA dude or if it was an NBA player. The performances were not that great. In 12 games, from November 16th to December 15th, he played 10.4 minutes per game. And in terms of shooting, he was 8 of 40 um that's 20% from the field that sucks and then from three he was four for 19 slightly better that's 21% for NBA standards especially when you're you're what you're known for really is being able to score that's just terrible um he kept getting minutes I think after that there was like another month where like, right after that, he still was cold for a bit. They toned down his minutes, and then he was able to get hot again. So, like I said, with this, like, him having those stretches, it took him, like, two months to get back in that hot zone. And once he got in it, he was playing great. He was dropping 20 points a couple games. He was dropping double digits. I think it kind of lowered back down eventually. But, yeah, his, uh, his last double-digit scoring game, there was a gap. It was November 14th. Uh, up until January 11th, almost two months, and kind of the ironic part, it wasn't even him scoring like 10. He went from 23 points in November to the next double digit 
point performance. It was 22 against the Celtics, and he shot eight or nine for 18. That's that's really good. So with him, you you have those potential. You have the potential where he can take over the game. But then there's also those times where he just isn't playing too well. Now, in terms of what his actual weaknesses are, I wouldn't count it on offense. It's just he needs to sure up. If he is able to get find some sort of consistency with our team, he's going to be great. And I'm optimistic with it. Um, he's he's shown he can shoot. Like If he's able to get a couple shots going, you will need to guard him because he does go off like that. But like I said, he just sometimes he just can't he can't find he can't find anything out there. He just he's going like over six sometimes. Now you might be able to patch that up if you can. That's great because he will be a good offensive piece on defense and in terms of decision making and really passing. There is an issue now. He had a one point three eight assist to turnover ratio last year, and on the surface. That doesn't look terrible, um, but for point guards, that that's not that great. I think Ty Jerome's was Ty Jerome's was somewhere like in the two point one, two point two. I don't have the exact thing down, but Ty Jerome's was above two, and um, he's known for passing. Jackson isn't. I'm just saying, for point guards, you want to have a pretty high um, turn or assist to turnover ratio. Like two point zero is where you want to be. He's not close to that right now. And then, just on defense, he's putting up 1.5 fouls per game. That number is higher than both his assists and his turnovers per game. So, whenever he was thrown out there, he had major problems when it comes to fouling people. The hope is he's able to kind of tone it down on there, tone it back on fouling. Um, but that's just has that's just been an issue with him so far. Defensively, just continuing on that side, he just he just all around needs to be better. With those fouling problems, um, he also just doesn't have the size to guard bigger players. And keeping up with those like super speedy point guards, he still has some issues. He has the body of a point guard, but I just like him more as a shooting guard. I think as a shooting guard, a lot of these issues are going to be minimized. Now, he's 6'3". Uh, he makes up for it a bit with six foot seven wingspan, but just as of right now, being a shooting guard in the NBA, I think you gotta be at least six foot five. Um, so he just doesn't really have that body of a shooting guard. I think if he were to get rotational minutes, I'd just prefer him to be playing shooting guard. I like him more off the catch and shoot, off the ball. I don't love his, like, I don't think as a passer he's that great. I think if you were to throw him in a roster where I think he'd ultimately be playing backup minutes. Like Maladon at the one or Ty Jerome at the one and Jackson at the two, I think that's great. I don't know if I'd want to swap it around and have Jackson playing point and, like, Maladon or Jerome playing off the ball, if, if you get what I'm saying there. Now... He's just looking at the roster. He really is unique in terms of, and really just the history of how we get point guards for the team. All our point guards are like pass first players, exceptions being Russell Westbrook, but he's still a great passer. Jackson's not very good at that. He's just the, he's like an offensive player. 
Not so much on the defensive side, not so much on passing. As it is with our team, all our point guards are pass-oriented outside of him. SGA, George Hill, Maladon, and Tydrome, those are passers first. Jackson is not. So, we just have a ton of point guards and shooting guards going into this. And that kind of leads me into my next point. How exactly does his deal impact the team and really just more so himself because only having 250k guaranteed that's not a lot of money so with eight point guards and shooting guards when you include Jackson it's a lot of competition going on and there were reports of us signing Chasson Randall he's a point guard he's really just a journeyman if you want to include him it's nine I don't I didn't see any confirmation on him actually being signed by us or not. I think if he were to, he'd just be to play in the G League, just have some veterans out there. So I I just rather keep it at 8. Like I said a point guard, you got SGA, you got George Hill, Frank Jackson, Teo Maladon and Ty Jerome. And at shooting guard, you have Dort, Diallo, Admiral Schofield, and you have some guys who are going to be playing for the G League team. Melvin Frazier and uh, Antonius Cleveland. They're both shooting guards. I don't. I obviously they're not going to be playing minutes for our for the Thunder as of now. But I just think it's cool to throw them in there. There's just so much competition, and even with those eight guys at point guard and shooting guard, there's still ten other players at small forward, power forward. In center, the way it splits up, we have five point guards, three shooting guards, five small forwards, three power forwards, and two centers. So we need to be able to cut from 18 to 15. We have vets on this team that people think are gone. There's a high chance we need to move some of them. I think we do need to move them. How many we move? That's up in the air. George Hill, Trevor Ariza are the main two being thrown out. Darius Miller, he could be moved. A lot of people like the idea of him staying. He's on a $7 million expiring, so he could be sticking around. Al Horford, I think to start the season, he's going to be playing with us. Muscala, I also think he's going to be staying with us. So the main two players are George Hill and Ariza. I wouldn't completely count out Darius Miller. I think he's a little bit more safe than those two, though. So, if we somehow can move three of those veterans out of there for no players, we don't even have to worry about it. But I don't see that happening. So, if you just narrow it down, there's going to be one or two small forwards gone, whether it be through trade or releasing one of them. We have five guys there. And we have a really promising undrafted free agent in Josh Hall on a two-way contract. So I think he will be getting minutes with the Thunder. And like I said, I do I do really like what we have in him. So minutes are going to be super hard to come around at small forward. And not all five of them are going to be able to stay. At least that's my belief. At small forward, we have... Um, we have Kenrich Williams and Isaiah Roby as some of the two who people are wondering, will they stay on the team? 
Kendrick Williams, I think there's a high chance he's not with us. With Roby, he's younger. He's only 22, but he just hasn't really broken out at all thus far. He played in the G League with us and wasn't doing insane. Maybe we still like what we have in Roby and he sticks around, but I'm not 100% sure he's with us. Um, I do I do like his odds more than Kenrich, like I said. And then Trevor Ariza and Darius Miller could get moved as well. So one or two small forwards are gone. Where do you go from there? Because you can't get rid of your centers. Al Horford's your center and TJ Leaf is. He's a power forward center, but we need the center minutes. He's going to be a center. At power forward, it's just Basley, Muscala, and Pokachevsky, who really we don't have a clear understanding on his role yet. So maybe he just hardly plays at all for like the first couple months of the season or the whole season. There's going to be an issue at power forward and center. I think Justin Jackson may need to play at power forward. I see him more as a small forward. He's kind of gained a reputation for like a stretch four. So you could move him at power forward and you can solve a little bit of the minutes there. But you still need to get rid of a guy. And when it comes down to it, it may come into it may turn into which one of these point guards do we get rid of? And I think it could ultimately be between Frank Jackson and Jerome. Maladin just got I mean just got confirmed, so he's with us now. Our two two-way spots are filled, and I don't think we like don't sign him to a real contract. I think he should get a fifth, one of the 15 spots. Alexander obviously has it. If Hill doesn't get moved, he's going to be there. It's really just Jackson and Jerome for me. And Jerome does have guaranteed money. He was a first-round pick last year. He's, so, he's somehow older than Jackson, which is kind of surprising. Jerome is 23, Jackson's 22. It's really a dice roll on those two, but I think if I'd have to say, if one of the point guards were to go, it'd be between Jackson and Jerome. So we can't be sure who would be gone. One dude that we do know is gone, however, Melvin Frazier. Now, I was hyping this guy up so much in the... Uh, last podcast I did, I was so happy. I've already given a huge breakdown on him. I really wanted us to get him um, back in 2018, I believe. We never traded up for him. But yeah, I just really loved him. He didn't pan out in Orlando. They declined his uh, team option, and he wound up with us. So he got the, uh, he got the Cleveland treatment. And with that, I'm saying... He got signed for like a day just to get waived. And the whole point is he we're going to have his G League rights. I don't know if he's going to go overseas or something. I'm assuming the talk was you're going to get signed and we're going to waive you. I can't I can't imagine they signed him and they told him you're going to be able to compete for a roster spot because he just was never given the chance. I think it, the terms were all known. He's going to be in the G League unless he goes overseas with us. I really like him. Like I said, I did a huge like 20-minute segment on him. If you want to hear a lot like more stuff on Frazier, feel free to listen to that last one. 
But I'm just going to summarize what I said in that uh, 20-minute segment um, here. So he's really just a Presty prototype guy. He's 24, he's 6 foot 5, but the thing is, he has 7 his wingspan is 7 foot 2. That's ridiculous. He is a straight up ball hawk. He's one of the best on-ball defenders in the G League at least last year. He was 5th in steals at 2.2 a game. And I seriously don't think with his frame and the lateral quickness he does possess, he shouldn't have issues guarding the 1 through 3. When you go to the four and the fives, you may just get out-muscled there. But he's good guarding one through three. Um, he's good on fast breaks. When it comes to offense, he's good in the fast break. That huge body, he will run into you. He's not going to be jumping and like posterizing people. But he can finish in contact with some layups. That's about all, Like in terms of... He's like huge positives that I can say he's good at already. Those are that that's what I'm talking about. Now, there's a little bit of questions. He did improve his shooting a ton in college. He went to Tulane. From his sophomore to junior year, he went from 26% from three to 39%. It's dipped down to 33 in the G League last season. And he just has inconsistency from there and just really shooting the ball. That's going to be that's an issue. Um I like him like in the catch and shoot from the corner 3, I think it's fine, but he's not able to create his shot and even on the chance that he does, there's some games where he just won't be able to hit and that is what it is. So shooting is like the major the major issue. If he had that like he was consistent from there, there's no doubt in my mind he'd be in a Magic jersey because they wouldn't have declined that team option. But yeah, he would have been. An, he's an NBA player if he is able to work on that shot. Other than that, the major knocks and really the only knock I have on defense, he is able to rack up fouls super quickly, and that just comes into he needs to work on just being smarter with it. He, he's able to get results when it comes to steals, but he does get a little bit too aggressive sometimes, and that's how you end up with him having to get benched for fouling a ton. Um, and then my other problem on offense, he's not able to get fouls. Like He will drive in, but he's not able to get the foul calls. And even when he does, he's only like a 66% free throw shooter, and that's not where you want it to be at. He needs to work on his offensive side of the game, if he's able to do that, I would hope that the Thunder give him a shot on the Thunder. Like, I hope they give him a shot because um, I don't think he's going to blow it. I, I really like him. But, yeah, I think improving on his offense should give him a shot with us. In terms of defense, he's already an NBA caliber defender. She needs to work on that offense, man. But other than that, that's really all the Thunder news that has happened in the past couple days. If there are any more huge stories coming out, I will make sure to drop uh, another podcast for you guys. really appreciate it for you guys staying this whole time. Uh, I'll make sure to try to get my um, next one out fast. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time. See ya.